Welcome. This is Brad Bright and the God is the Issue podcast where we show how God is the issue in every issue. Now, folks, today we're going to be asking two basic questions. Is white privilege real? And how should I respond when someone says all whites have white privilege? So let's start with the question, is white privilege real? Well, folks, if white privilege is real, why are more Asian Americans and Jewish Americans usually more successful than white Americans? Is it because they have white privilege too? too? No. Both groups had used to experience severe racism in this country. They still experience some racism, in fact, but as ethnic groups, they have achieved the American dream. So is, is white privilege imagined or is it real? Let me be honest with you. I'm not exactly sure, but I am definitely skeptical. However, since since Asian Americans and Jewish Americans as a, as a group have been able to do better than whites, the primary assumption underlying the whole concept of white privilege is fundamentally flawed. And if your assumption is flawed, everything you build on that assumption will be flawed as well. Now, folks, this is a challenging issue. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I have wrestled with it. And folks, I can't cover everything today. In fact, I cut about half of the content out of, out of it before we started. But you need to understand at least four of the fundamental problems with the term white privilege. And then you need to understand how to respond effectively. And it's probably not what you think. Now, before I proceed any further, let me be crystal clear. Racism is real. Racism is real. And a lot of people have been hurt by it. And we need to be aware of that as we go through our, our day and we interact with people of other races. You know, sometimes whites truly do hate blacks. And sometimes blacks truly do hate whites. And ditto for every other ethnic group. But folks, you can't legislate hate away. You can't shame hate away. You can only get rid of ethnic hate by changing people's hearts. You see, Hate is fundamentally a spiritual issue because it is a heart problem. And it is a heart problem that denigrates the image of God in each and every one of us. It is a prime example of what the Bible calls sin. And folks, if it's a spiritual issue primarily, then the primary solution must be spiritual as well. You see, trying to fix a primarily spiritual issue by applying an external systemic solution is like trying to heal cancer by putting a Band-Aid on it. That makes no sense. So I've already mentioned that the first problem with white privilege is that Asian Americans and Jewish Americans have been able to do better than whites despite not having white privilege. The second problem with the term white privilege is that it demonizes all white people simply for the sin of being born white, something they absolutely positively cannot change. Now, I know that some folks say that white privilege is a descriptive or diagnostic diagnostic tool. But, folks, it is almost always weaponized as a gotcha trap. It's to tell people, white people, and effectively to shut up and go to the back of the bus. And I'll explain how this works in a few minutes. You see, when someone accuses a, white, uh, a person of white privilege, they are trying to manipulate them. They are trying to shut them down. They are, it is a label of shame. It, it, it's not strictly a non-emotive diagnostic label. It's just like when a black person is accused of, of being an Uncle Tom. It's used as an emotional sledgehammer used to try to shame them into silence. Now, white privilege is almost always used pejoratively, not descriptively, and that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. 
Now, the third problem is that the term white privilege assumes that the fundamental problem behind racism is systemic, not personal or spiritual, that the problem is external. Therefore, if you change the system, you can change the individual person. But Christianity believes that racism is, racism is inherently a spiritual problem, a sin problem. And therefore, you must first change the heart if you want to change the system. Let me say it this way. White privilege assumes that you must change the system in order to change the individual. Christianity believes you must change the individual in order to change the system. Now, let me give you some examples of what I mean. Abram X. Kendi wrote a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And in the book, he states, the remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination, unquote. In other words, the remedy is to discriminate against those who discriminated against you, to do unto others as they have done unto you. That is the systemic solution. But Jesus taught, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the spiritual solution. Kendi proposes a systemic solution. Jesus offers a spiritual solution. Jesus and Kendi fundamentally disagree. So you can either follow Kendi or you can follow Jesus, but you can't follow both. But here is the question I know many of you struggle with. How should I respond when someone accuses me or accuses someone I know of white privilege? First, folks, you need to recognize that it does not properly diagnose the problem because it ignores instances where they don't fit the model. Second, recognize it is often intentionally weaponized in order to make white folks shut up. And third, recognizes that it assumes, it assumes that the fundamental problem is systemic, not personal or spiritual. But finally, you need to recognize that the accusation targets the emotional center of your brain, not the log logical center of your brain. You see, the frontal lobe is the seat of logic. The brain stem is the seat of emotion in your brain. Understanding this is absolutely critical because there are two basic types of arguments that we use every day. Arguments from logic, that is from the frontal lobe, and arguments from emotion, that is from the brain stem. Now, let me clarify. Arguments from emotion do not mean that you get emotional. It means they target the brain stem, the seat of emotion, not the frontal lobe. Now, let me give you some examples of what this looks like. When I was in college, I, I went and sold books one summer door-to-door -door, uh, just south of Houston. And it was with Southwestern Book Company. And, and when I got to the door and I engaged the person in conversation, first I would explain what this book would do for their kids. You know, so they would do this, this, and this. But then... I would end here. I said, you, you know, Sally next door, she bought one for her kids. And Jill down the street, she bought one for her kids too. And here's what the response would be. They did? Did you catch that? They did? You see, what I just did is I gave the person emotional permission to purchase the, purchase the product. Because their neighbors who they knew had purchased the product, it was okay for them to purchase it as well. Folks, that has nothing to do with logic. That has everything to do with the brainstem. Here's another example. Why do companies spend so much money hiring celebrities to, to, to sell their product for them, you know, to make commercials? Why? Because they're appealing to your brainstem, to your emotions. You know, if Patrick Mahomes likes it, likes it, it must be good, right? Now, that's not a logical argument. That's an, that's an argument that targets your brainstem. Final example. 
Why do you think politicians come every election season, they spend millions and millions of dollars trying to scare you? Why? Because they know if they can scare you, they can control the way you vote. You see, fear is a powerful motivator. It overwhelms your logic. It overwhelms your frontal lobe. You see, arguments from emotion are more powerful for the average American today than arguments from logic because most Americans today are feelers, not thinkers. So unless you're in a philosophy class, folks, never try to counter an argument from emotion with an argument from logic. You'll lose every time. You may technically win, but you'll lose in the minds of your audience. You know, there are a lot of logical analyses out there of white privilege, and I encourage you to read them. However, my goal here is to help you respond effectively in the midst of a conversation, and I want to give you a tool to do that. The term white privilege is primarily an argument from emotion, and this is how I know. If you or a friend is accused of white privilege and you respond, but I don't have white privilege or they don't have white privilege, here is what your accuser will say next. You have white privilege, you just don't know it. (laughs) Now, down south, they'd probably start with, why, bless your heart. You have white privilege. You just don't know it. In other words, folks, what they're saying is you're stupid. Now, it's very demeaning, but that is the point. It's a classical rhetorical game of gotcha. You see, it's a skillfully designed rhetorical trap designed to put you in a box you can't get out of because there's absolutely nothing you can say to prove them wrong. There's nothing you can say to prove them wrong. Each time they're going to respond, well, you do have white privilege, you just don't know it. Folks, that's how you know an argument is from emotion. You can't logically debate it. So what's the solution? The solution is not to step in the logical, I mean, into the rhetorical trap to begin with, and is to counter with your own argument from emotion. Now then, let me be clear what I'm not saying. I am not saying you should get emotional. That is probably the absolute worst thing you could do. Don't react. Never react. Stay calm. When they say you have white privilege, respond this way. Well, I understand that's your truth, but it's not mine. Say it as nicely as you can. It's probably going to catch them a little off guard. Now, no matter what they say next, again, respond. Oh, no, I understand that's your truth, but it's not mine. You see, two can play the gotcha game. That can be a two-way street because here's their problem. Now they have to explain why your truth, why your truth is not true. And if they try, folks, simply respond again, I understand that's your truth, but, but it's not mine. And you can do that very agreeably. Now then, if you do that, they cannot get out of the rhetorical trap. You flip the tables. You've gone from defense to offense. Here's why. Our culture believes everyone has their own truth. I have my truth. Now, folks, this belief is is not based on logic. It's based strictly on feelings. However, in our culture where most people are feelers, not thinkers, it is a powerful and effective argument, so use it. You see, once you say, this is my truth, you win. Now, let me say parenthetically that the whole concept of my truth and your truth is absolutely ridiculous. But in order to be an effective communicator, I adopt the language of my audience, the language my audience understands. Because if I don't, I will lose, at least in the minds of my audience. Now, if you want to take the next step, I want to show you how. You've now gone from defense to offense. You are in control. 
If you want to take the next next uh, next next converse step in the conversation, once your accuser finally kind of shrugs in defeat, or maybe they get mad and walk away. I don't I don't know. But once they in effect admit defeat, ask this question: Would you like to know what I think the real problem and solution is? Sometimes they might get mad at you, but sometimes they'll say, "Sure, tell me what you think the problem and solution is." And here's where you respond: Racism is fundamentally a spiritual problem. Racism is fundamentally a spiritual problem. It's a problem of, a, of the heart, not a systemic problem. It denies that we are all created in God's image. And if that's true, then the solution has to be primarily a spiritual solution, a remedy that changes the heart. You see, I believe when Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, he gave us a way out of this dilemma. You know, if, if whites would try to treat blacks the way they want to be treated, and if blacks would try to treat whites the way they want to be treated, we would eventually solve all this ethnic bickering. But as long as we continue to demonize each other with terms like white privilege and Uncle Tom, the problem will only get worse. No one likes being labeled. No one likes feeling attacked and demeaned. Folks, we need to start building bridges and a lot fewer walls. And the accusation white privilege is definitely a wall, a really, really big wall. Until we take Jesus seriously, we will never escape out of this dilemma. Now, folks, now you have shifted the conversation from the systemic solution to the spiritual solution. This is a conversation that all followers of Jesus need to pursue, at least if we are serious about presenting real solutions to real societal problems. Now you have a tool you can use. But let me summarize the three problems with the term white privilege. First, white privilege ignores that Asian Americans and Jewish Americans have been able to do better than whites in America, even though they don't have white privilege. Second, the term white privilege demonizes all white people simply for the unpardonable sin of being born white, something they can't change. And third, the term white privilege assumes that you must change the system in order to change the individual. But the Bible teaches the opposite, that you must change the individual in order to change the system. And folks, here are the two pivotal statements you need to have in your toolbox when talking about white privilege. First is, oh, that's your truth, but it's not mine. Second one is, I believe racism is fundamentally a spiritual problem, not a systemic problem. If you'll remember those two statements, you can quickly flip from defense to offense and make God the issue. Because, folks, God is the issue in every issue, especially in the issue of white privilege. This is Brad Bright. Thanks for joining me today. And, folks, if you found this podcast helpful, please like, subscribe, or, or share it. God bless you as you seek to make God the issue, as you seek to be salt and light in a very dark culture.